Hey, good morning, Christ Church. It's good to be with you. You feeling good today? You got, you, you got sunshine. It's going to be a warm week. We can't ask for any more in February. Amen? Well, it is, uh, it is good to be with you. Um, as Tina said, we're, we're counting down till we launch our Thursday evening services. I'm, I'm going to need you to do a little better than that. Uh, yeah. Um, it's going to be fun. Um, Thursdays at 7, February 29th, we're kicking that off, and those will run um, every week, except like Thanksgiving, we'll take that one off. Uh, that's my Thursday joke. Been getting a lot of mileage out of it. Um, but, uh, but we are excited, and we're so thankful for all the amazing people that are serving. But here's what we're praying for. We're, we're praying for some more people that would be willing uh, and, and would love to invest in our kids and serve with our kids. So if that's on your heart um, and you would love to help us uh, a couple times a month serving our kids Thursday night, we're praying for eight people. Uh, you can sign up in the back. Um, I'll buy you a Diet Coke today. You know, it's a oh, rich. We got one. No, uh, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's an awesome opportunity, awesome way to serve, and I think these services are going to be really great. So let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We are so grateful to be here this morning. And Lord, we all have different problems in our life, Lord, of different levels of intensity and struggle. And God, I just pray today that we could experience the wisdom that comes from your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to learn from the Corinthians and, and not to resist your wisdom or not to see your wisdom as foolish, but help us to see it for what it is and help us to build our lives on it. We ask for your help in all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, believe it or not, the average person makes 35,000 decisions a day. Is that remarkable? That's average. Some of us, you, you probably do double that, you know? Uh, you got a couple kids, you're, you're making 100000 a day. Uh, you're, you're the manager or boss at work, you're, you're making more. And I don't know if it's just me, but do you ever come home and do you ever have decision fatigue? Anybody ever feel that? Here's where it always gets me is when I come home and we didn't really have any sort of plan for dinner and Allie's like, what do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? And round and round we go. But what always happens for me is I just, I don't want to make another decision. And then Allie will be like, well, uh, why don't we do this? I'll be like, no, not that. <laughs> and she'll be like, you just said you didn't care. I was like, I know. I'm a bundle of paradoxes, you know. Uh, and then it, it just never really goes well from there. But, but that's, how, that's how I feel, you know, like, you know what else gets me is the gas station. Go, I'm like, I just want to get gas. And they're like, what's your, what's your uh, zip code? Do you want two, two hot dogs for $2? Do you want, like, no, I just want to get gas. What street was your father born on? Like, dude, I want gas. It drives anyone. I don't know if that's just a me thing. Um, but there's, we're, we're faced with so many decisions. And in fact, I would say this, in, in the history of humanity, we have more decision-making ability and power and opportunity than probably anyone that has ever come before us. 
It's kind of an interesting thing to think about. In fact, I would put, say it this way, in, in our world today, there is an abundance of opportunity to make decisions. That there, there's so much that, and probably things we should not decide on, but there's so many things, there's an abundance of opportunity. There's also an abundance of information. And you would think, now you would think that if you put those two things together, that we would feel really, really free. That we would be like, oh man, this, this, this is great. There's so much at my fingertips, but can we be honest, how many of us feel free by that? <laughs> Probably not as many as we would expect. You're like, well, why don't you feel free? You've got all these options, all this information, all, all these things that, that sort of, you know, are, are your choice, and, and yet... We lack that sense of freedom. And here's why I think it is. is because there's one ingredient that we're missing. And that is what the Bible calls wisdom. And to have an abundance of information where we are constantly bombarded with information, an abundance of opportunity, but then to have a scarcity of wisdom gives us the experience not of freedom, in life, but of crushing anxiety. Because how do I sort through all this? How do I know? I, I, I got to go to college. I, I got to figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I got a billion options. Right? And then how do I figure all, all this out? And, and this, is, this is why we need what the Bible calls wisdom. Wisdom gives us the ability to help us navigate life in a way that brings meaning, that brings purpose, and that brings deeper joy. Now, wisdom is something you can get a few ways. And many times, our primary source of wisdom is we get wisdom from experience. And it's good to learn from experience, but you don't want that to be your primary pathway to wisdom. If the only way you figure out what the right thing to do is, is by doing the wrong thing, that's not a fun journey. <laughs> can, can I get an amen? You, here, here's what, you want to know that you're on the wrong path as soon as possible. Because the longer you stay on the wrong path, the harder it is to, to get off of it. You with me? You want to know if that's the wrong girl or wrong guy as soon as possible. You with me? Because the quicker you know, the better. And, and wisdom, yes, we can learn wisdom from experience, but instead of wasting so much time and so much energy, and, and instead of having to, to go through, you know, 10 years and 15 years of struggle, be like, oh, wow, I, I should have went this way. That we have to choose a better way. You with me on this? And here's what we're going to look at in the book of 1 Corinthians, is that there is a better way. There, there is a way that, that you, you and I can constantly uh, tap into the wisdom that we need for life. And it comes from God's spirit at work in you and me. That, that if, if you're a follower of Jesus today, one of the things that, that happens is that God's spirit lives in you. Call him the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guides you. 
and, and wants to, to prompt you and me in the right direction and sort of, you know, move our life towards healthier realities that are more consistent with God. And, and what we're going to see in the book of 1 Corinthians is that the Apostle Paul who wrote it, he, he's going to show us that, that God's Spirit is this source of wisdom that we desperately, desperately need. So let me show this to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, if, if you missed last week, we started this series through 1 Corinthians. We're going to just look basically at, at one chapter a week. And I'm going to just kind of jump a little bit around in chapter 2. But let's begin at verse 1. And Paul says this, And when I came to you, brothers... I did not come to you preaching, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. So your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, Paul is writing to him, and he's kind of taking him back down memory lane. And he's saying, Corinthian church, and, and Paul started this church. He was the first one to, to share with them who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what that means. And when he shared that with them, it changed their lives. And they became followers of Christ, and they became a church, and, and they came together. And so Paul's reminding them about how this all happened. And he said, he said hey guys, when I came to you originally, I, it was, I didn't come with these amazing, complicated, impressive arguments. I didn't, I didn't argue you into the faith, which by the way, you cannot argue people to God. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but don't do it. It, 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 it doesn't work. You, you cannot badger people to God. You can't manipulate people to God. Uh, and, and Paul's saying, I, I didn't come, and, and I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, and, you know, this is kind of significant coming from Paul, because if you were to, to ask any historian in the world to say, hey, who's like the top five uh, most influential people in the history of the world that has shaped how mankind think and understand the world. And guess what? The Apostle Paul would be on that list. We kind of get used to him, and we get used to hearing about him, but the Apostle Paul, his writings in the New Testament have shaped the world more than probably almost anybody, other than probably Jesus himself. And, and so this is a guy who could put together a good argument. You with me? This is a guy who could impress you with his thoughts, with his ideas, with, with all that. But he said, but I didn't do any of that. He said, instead, I came to you, and here's what he says. I, I proclaim to you Jesus Christ crucified. And this is kind of an interesting phrase. It's an interesting idea that Paul will, will go back to again. He said, you know, at the end of the day, I shared with you Jesus Christ and what it meant when he went to the cross and he died and he rose again. And Paul said, and, and when I did that, God used that and he shaped and he grabbed a hold and he changed your heart. 
And church, can I tell you that? That's the way that it works. We, we can't badger anyone. We can't convince anyone. We, we, we can't manipulate. And we're not, we're not called to. God's the only one that can work on our hearts. If you're a follower of Jesus today, and, and you can go back to how God reached you, yes, maybe he used someone's words, maybe he used a sermon or a conversation, but ultimately, if you look back, you'll know that it wasn't that, it wasn't that person, it was what God did through that person. You with me on this? And this is, what, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, remember how this all started? Yeah, I showed up, and, and I shared Christ, and I was clear, and, and it, it was simple. It wasn't anything fancy, and then God showed up in your heart. Now, can I just make just one application for us today from this? Are you open to it? So you don't know what I'm going to say, so I already baited you without, you know, um, so you can't be upset now. But Paul says, I, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. Now, here's what I think is significant about that. At the center of the Christian faith is Jesus Christ and nothing else. At the center is, is Christ uh, dying and resurrecting for us. That, that's the center of the Christian faith. And sometimes, as far as of Christ, we will put other things at the center. And then people outside of the faith that, that are exploring, maybe some of us today, like we're trying to decide, do, what do we believe? What does this mean? And we're trying to understand it. I'm so glad you're on that journey. And, and so people looking from the outside in, they will look sometimes, and if we don't make it very, very clear that Jesus Christ is at the center, then sometimes people will get the idea that something else is at the center. Now, here's my challenge for us. You probably don't know this, but this year is an election year. <laughs> Does anybody know that? And, and, and here's what, and, and I don't think this is too, very true in our church, but, but here's what sometimes Christians want to do. They want to put politics at the center. And it's not the center. You with me on this? Um. And, and sometimes Christians, you know, they want to put like nasty thoughts and nasty posts out there. And can we just be honest? There has never been a time in human history where someone, you know, was talking to a friend. They're like, I've, I've changed my total political stance. And they're like, well, why did you change that? And they're like, well, I saw a nasty post on Facebook. <laughs> and it made me rethink. That's never happened. Right? That's not, it's, it, it, does, it doesn't. It doesn't advance anything, but, but here, here's the danger as far as of Christ, here, is that people who are exploring faith, people who know that you're a follower of Christ, if we're going to hoot and holler about something, can I encourage you, hoot and holler about the goodness of Christ in your life. If, if you want to platform something, platform Christ. Let, with people who might be looking at your life and they're exploring, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, if you're not, you can do whatever you want, all right? But if, if you are a follower of Jesus, I just want to encourage you to, to think about that, to think about what does our life project as the center of our faith. You with me on this? And I love Paul says, I decided, look, I kept it, I kept it clear. And I think it's a blessing, and I think it will be a blessing if we as followers of Christ, we keep it clear this year. There's going to be a lot of noise. 
There's going to be a lot of hooting and hollering. There's going to be a lot. And you know, you know what would be beautiful? If we said, hey, I, we're, I'm going to decide to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. I think that would be a healthy thing. You think about it. Then Paul says, he says, so, so I, I shared Christ and, and God showed up. And you know, part of wisdom in life is recognizing what rests on me and what rests on God. And so many times in life, the struggles that we, we take on are not always ours to take on. And the struggles we don't take on, ours, are ours to take on. That's a hard RR, you get what I'm saying. We forfeit that responsibility. And Paul says, here's what my responsibility was to you, church. I came and I shared Christ. And here's what God's responsibility was. He worked in your heart. And he made the message make sense. And I want to just encourage you today that maybe there are some things in our life that we're trying to worry about, we're trying to fix, we're trying to get our grip on, and the Lord's like, hey, buddy, those are mine. Those are mine. Here, here's what you do. When, when it's God's, here's what your posture is. Lord, I trust that to you. I'm hands off. It's, you know, he's got the steering wheel. You're not reaching across and trying to pull it this way or that way. Um, but you're saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust your wisdom. Now, there's other things in our life where the Lord's like, hey, this is your responsibility. And you know what our posture is on those things? Diligence. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give my best. Stephen Covey, a great author, he talks about it this way. He says there is our circle of concern and our circle of influence. And Stephen Covey says that our circle of concern, it's all the things that we're normally concerned about. And these are usually big things. You know, maybe uh, the, the market, the economy, things that are happening in the world. But, but in our circle of concern, we're concerned, but we don't have any influence. You with me? And so you're putting this energy, but you don't have influence. He says, but then there's this other area of life, and it is the circle of influence. And there, when we do things, it does change our life. Right? Like, how, if, if I decide to begin my day connecting to God, that's in my circle of influence. And that's not going to change the world at large, but it's going to change my experience of that day. You with me? I, I, can't, I can't, you know, uh, change all these other people, but I can show up for my wife and my kids and have a lot of influence and a lot of shaping for good in their lives if I take up that responsibility. That's the circle of influence. So here's what he says. Proactive people focus their efforts in the circle of influence. They work on things they can do something about. What rests on me? What rests on God? The nature of their energy is positive, enlarging, and magnifying, causing their circle of influence to increase. Paul says, I show up, I share Christ. What God does with it is up to God. And I'm telling you, one of our issues that we can face as just human beings is we will, we will reverse this. And we'll put all our energy towards our circle of concern and we'll forfeit the circle of influence.
What rests on God and what rests on me? What, 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 what situation has God said, all right, I'm giving you opportunity to do something here? And wisdom is knowing the difference. Now, here's the big problem that Paul is addressing in chapter 2. The Corinthian church that he's writing to, they were, not, they were people that knew God. Paul said, when I, when I came among you, it made sense. It was real. It was God at work. But here's what happened. They, they drifted from relying on God's spirit and God's wisdom. And they started to become a little bit too overconfident in their way of thinking and their perspective. Now, these are Christians. If you're a follower of Jesus, these are people like you and me today. And yet they, 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 they knew God, but they drifted. They lost sight. They, they started to be overconfident in their own wisdom, and, and they became resistant to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So what, what happened is there became this, this serious wisdom vacuum in their life. And church, I want you to know, and I think we need to just be self-aware today, that that very same thing can happen to us too. Yeah, I, I know God, I love God, but you know, I begin to drift, and, and without knowing it, I start to just overly rely on my own understanding, on my own way of thinking, and I slowly become a little bit calloused to the influence and the guidance of God's Spirit. And guess what happens? My life begins to lack the wisdom that I desperately need. You with me on this? This, is a real, this can be a real problem in all of our lives. In fact, there, there is a, this really fascinating, um, it's a cognitive bias. It's called the, the Dunning-Kruger effect. And what it, what it means is that in, in us as just normal people, there's often a correlation between our ignorance and our confidence. This is not a good correlation. But we're all, we're all subject to this. This is it's a real thing. And, uh, and, and what it means is that sometimes when you know the least about something, you'll have the strongest opinion about it. That's not good. <laughs> it's kind of an example. We, we had a meeting a few weeks ago, and we were talking about um, putting a wall up and some doors in here. And uh, you don't need to start laughing back there. And... <laughs> And, and in the meeting, and I was like, I was like, too easy. Like, how hard can that be? A couple doors, a wall, no problem. Let's do it. You know, what are we waiting on? And, <laughs> and I, was, I was, you know, just very confident, very, you know, sure, this is no problem. My brother, Louie, who actually does construction, um, his face was a little less confident than mine. <laughs> um, and I think at some point, someone, someone asked him, and Louis is like, oh, yeah, no problem. That's super easy. He said it very sarcastically. Uh, meaning, Chet, <laughs> meaning, Chet, you have no idea what you're talking about, you know, which is true. Uh, but, you know, high level of ignorance, high level of confidence. <clears throat> so, church, be very careful about your opinion about some things. <clears throat> if, if there, there could be a correlation. And this was the, this was the Corinthians. 
<clears throat> excuse me, they, uh, they thought they got it figured out. They, they were confident in that. They're, they were looking at Paul, and they're like, Paul, what, what, what do you know? He's like, well, I'm, I'm the apostle Paul. Um, I, I, you know, I kind of know a few things. Um, I've been called by the resurrected Christ, uh, and, and they were rejecting it. Now, Paul goes on, and he says this, verse 6. He says, well, let, let me tell you about wisdom and a little bit how it works. He says, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Now, here's what Paul's going to explain. And this is really kind of interesting. He says, look, there's a reason we miss wisdom. And one reason has to do with the world, and one reason has to do with us. He said, the first reason is that the world, if you're looking to the world, and you're looking to them to give you the wisdom that you need, you have to realize they'll always miss the wisdom of God. That if, if our guide for our life is, what is everybody else doing? How does everyone else think? What, what makes sense in our world today? What, what Paul is saying is, you'll never find the wisdom of God that way. Right? When you're, when you're growing up, your parents tried to teach you this very early. Right? They're like, well, if everybody else does it, are you gonna, you know, if they all jump off a bridge, will you? You're like, well, I had to think about it. Uh. Uh, you know, like that, that's kind of what they're saying. They're, they're saying there, there's often not wisdom in group think. The ideas get dumber. You get 10 guys together, and they're all, you know, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it just goes downhill real fast. Just JK, JK, kind of. Um, but, but Paul's saying if, if, if our wisdom, if we're looking to the world and we're saying, all right, world, how should I live? What should my life look like? We're going to be misguided. Because the world does not naturally embrace the wisdom of God. Now, believe it or not, this is something that, that even secular writers agree with. James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, he said that most of our habits are, are formed, he calls, by the many and by the few. And what he means by that is that most of us are taking cues by the many. What are most people doing? That's the many. And the few is, who's like the influencers? Who's the rich and famous or powerful or successful? And then we're modeling our life after them. But here's what James Clear says. Usually those are not good habits for your life. And he's not writing this from a Christian perspective, but he's saying exactly what Paul is saying. That, that if our cue is from the culture and the world outside of us, it's always going to be short-sighted. It, it's, it's always going to, to miss the wisdom of of God. And I think that, in, in fact, he says there's a, there's a hiddenness that the wisdom of God is not obvious to us like we would think it might be. Now, I think that question, I just want to say one thing about it, then I'll move on. But, but that question's an interesting one. So, many times people in, in the church have, you know, kind of said, well, like, if God isn't, if God is real, why doesn't everyone believe in him? Why is, why is there this, um, you know, there, there's so many people that, that would 
not believe or believe something different? Like, why is that? And in some ways, Paul is helping us to understand that question a little bit, which I think is a good question. And there's been different um, thinkers over history who've tried to answer that, like Karl Marx. He's the guy that invented communism. Thanks, you jerk, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, but he's a very prolific thinker. And Karl Marx basically says, he said, religion uh, is created because society is dysfunctional. And as part of this dysfunction, the, that's where religious belief arises. Freud came later and Freud said, no, it's, it's not society's dysfunction. It's wish fulfillment. Life is hard and we want to try and make it easier on ourselves. So we invent the idea of God. And Freud said, that, that's, that's what it is. Now, here's what's interesting. The Apostle Paul says, actually, those guys are kind of on the right track, but they came to the wrong conclusion. The Apostle Paul says, no, the reason that we don't believe in God is the brokenness of society. Disbelief is a result of the brokenness of society. And he also says, and disbelief is wish fulfillment. What he means is that many times we're like, if I believe in God, I got to change my life. And I don't want to. I like it. I like being in charge. Even though it's not going great, I still would rather be in charge, you know? And, and so what, what Paul says is actually, no, it's, it's these things that, that make belief challenging. Is that as, as communities, we're, we're broken. We have this lens through which we can't see that well, but we think we can. And, and sometimes we're just running from God. We, we know he's real. Maybe you've been there. Like you, you knew he was real. You're just like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, maybe I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to open my life and see what happens. And, and so he says, because of that, because of these reasons, if we're looking outside of the world around us, we will miss the wisdom of God. Now, for some of you, here's a cool book that talks a lot more in detail about all that. Uh, I know we got a lot of readers in here. It's called Knowledge in Christian Belief by Alvin Plantiga. So if you're interested in any of that, um, <clears throat> I'm not getting any royalties for sharing that with you. Just, we're still working on that contract. Just, just kidding. Um, but anyway, so there's a good resource on that. So then Paul, let me just share these last verses with you. He says, verse 14, so that's why we miss it on the big picture, but here's personally why. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. They're foolish. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So let me just say this real simply. Paul's saying, as if, if we look for wisdom outside of us, we won't find it. We won't find the wisdom of God. And he says, and if we look for wisdom inside of us, without God's spirit, we also won't find the wisdom of God. Paul says, naturally, a, a, apart from God, apart from God's help, he says, we're, believe it or not, he said we're, we're resistant to God's ways, to God's wisdom. We're kind of stubborn about it. I know there's not many stubborn people in this church. <laughs> you know? He, he must be talking about some other group here. That church in Corinth, <clears throat> we're so different. Um, but he says, yeah, we're, we're stubborn. And, you know, 
We like our way. And he says, you know, because of that, we, we, end, up, we end up rejecting and missing or misunderstanding God's wisdom. Paul says that, that's on our own. So here, here's what he's saying happened to the Corinthians. He's saying, hey, you guys have drifted. And you've drifted, and, and here's what's dangerous about your drift. You think you've progressed, but you've actually went backwards. You think you've stepped more into wisdom, but you've actually missed wisdom. You think you're on a better path, but, but you're actually on a more dangerous path. Church, and I'm telling you, it's not that hard to get there. I'm not dogging the Corinthians. I'm the same way. Those same tendencies are in my heart. I know God is good, but, you know, sometimes I like my way. I like my idea. I think I should be God's instructor. Yeah, it's bad. But that's really what's happened in my heart. I think God should listen to what I think he should do. And I get frustrated when he doesn't. Here's what Paul said. He's saying, you know what? When, when, we're, when we're resisting God's spirit, those are all normal things. But he says, but don't do it. Why would you cut yourself off from that wisdom? Why would you cut yourself off from what you so desperately need? You with me on this, church? So he shows us the path forward, and I think it's really, really simple. Number one, he says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he should be his teacher, his instructor? Here's how I start to re-engage and open myself to God's wisdom. I go to God to listen. I go to God to listen. Lord, I'm not your instructor. Are we honest with ourselves today to say, I don't know how to do this thing called life? Are we honest with ourselves today to say, I don't know how to solve this problem? I think I do, but Lord, teach me your way. I don't know where to go in this, in this fork in the road, but Lord, I'm here and I'm going to listen to your direction. Church, that's how we re-engage God's Spirit. We, we go to him not to tell him what to do, but to listen, to truly, truly listen. Say, Lord, Lord, there's a beautiful prayer, a beautiful verse in the Old Testament. I think it makes a great prayer. Lord, speak for your servant is listening. You go home and you say that this week. Lord, speak for your servant is listening. And God will speak. And then Paul says, he says, hey, and by the way, we have the mind of Christ. Here's how I re-engage the wisdom from God's Spirit in my life. I, I recognize that I desperately need Christ's thoughts on my life. He says, we have the mind of Christ, that through God's Spirit, I, I can begin to think the way Christ would think about my life. That's huge. I, I would begin to, to see the, the situations in my life, not from my perspective, but from the Lord. That's a game changer. But church, do you want that today? Do you have a desperation in your heart that says, Lord, I, I need your thoughts. I got my thoughts. I got my neighbor's thoughts. But I need your thoughts today. 
Because your, your thoughts are where the real wisdom is at, church. Are we hungry for that? Are we, are we desperate for that? Have, have we seen, have we seen the, the, the end of our own, our, our limitations of what we can understand and perceive and know? Are you there yet? And can we say, Lord, show me your way. Show me your way. Now, I know some of us today, we might be thinking, well, Chad, I'm there. I know I can't figure out what's ahead of me. I can't figure out this problem. I can't, I can't get my mind around it. Like some of you, you're there, or I can't figure out where the Lord has me in this season of my life or whatever. And you may be feeling like, I'm there. I want God's wisdom. But I'm afraid I'm not going to hear it. I'm afraid I'm not going to get it. I'm, I, I, I'm afraid that, that maybe it's not, it's not going to come clearly enough in my life. And I just want to tell you today, if you want it, God will graciously give it to you. He, he will graciously give it to you. The Lord does not make himself hard to find. I know we think that. I know we feel that sometimes, but I'm telling you, if, you, if your heart is open to his wisdom and, and you're really truly desperate for it and you, and you have an open heart to listen, God's going to give you. He's going to show you. He's going to guide you. Let me just prove this to you. James 1, one of my favorite verses. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives very stingily. Oh, it doesn't say that. Who gives very cryptically. Lord, I see those birds flying in a certain pattern. What does that mean? No, he's, he's going to give you the wisdom generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But look at this. This is where we go wrong. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Here, here's what James is saying. God wants that. He is so generous but when you ask, mean it. When you ask, give him the honor that he is true to his word. Give him that honor. Give the spirit inside of you that honor that it brings you the mind of Christ. That's what James is saying. When you ask, mean it. Don't just pray in some apathetic, anemic way, like, Lord, you're probably not going to answer this anyway. Like, No. He said, that's annoying. I'm just kidding. I inserted that part. <laughs> but I imagine that it is. Um, he says, no, you mean it because your God is that good, church. That's what he's saying. Your God is that generous. Your God is not, he's not going to let you hang and float and drift. He'll help you. He'll meet you. He'll show you his way. And his way is life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you that you do not leave us alone to flounder in this life. Father, I just want to acknowledge right now that, that our wisdom is nothing compared to yours. That our best ideas don't scratch the surface of your genius. And so today, Lord, I just pray for your spirit to be at work in us. I pray we would see your spirit as our partner 
as our life, as our hope, as our strength. And that your wisdom, Lord, we wouldn't be surprised when it doesn't make sense to us. Because what makes sense to us is whack many times, Lord. And so, Father, I pray we would just have a trusting heart. We would have a reliant heart. We'd have a loving heart. And I pray you'd show us your way. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, who are just in the thick of it here this morning. But God, they're here because they want to hear from you. They're here because they're saying, I can't do it on my own. I can't figure this all out. And so, Lord, their presence here shows their desperation for you. I pray they could see your goodness right now. I pray they could be guided and blessed by it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.